everybody, and welcome to another episode of my podcast, Dari's Pizza Place is the name we have decided on for now. Today, I have something very, very special for you guys. Our guest today is Ellie. She is a very good friend of mine, the top security studies scholar in the <laughs> entire United Kingdom, and she's going to tell us about the very important subject of conspiracy theories. And Well, I think top security person of the uk might be a bit of a cv booster but hey you gotta start somewhere <laughs> <laughs> so what you got you started on, on this topic before we get into the meat of the subject um i it's it's crazy man like i don't know if when you were a kid did you ever like meme about conspiracy theories yeah sort of so i remember back when i was like in sixth grade like 12 13 years old me and my friends had this little group called the conspiracy crew and what we would do it was we would just try and link random events to the illuminati in some way one of my friends was really good at it shout out to mihan he was able to <laughs> really make anything linked to the illuminati it was really funny but like i think that kind of started my interest is just from a place of irony yeah. And then I was like, hang on, this is actually a really interesting political phenomenon. <laughs> yeah, it, it certainly is. And it feels like, especially with the COVID pandemic and everything that's going on recently, it's just grown exponentially. Well, yeah, that's actually how I wanted to, to, to start this off. Have you ever, are you familiar at all with the Zurich Schwerblini? The what? Like the, the Schwerblini in, in Zurich. Schwerblini? No. Yeah, that's like the colloquial term. He's oh, this guy. Are they the like the people with the big bells and shit? No, no, it's this guy with a massive hat made out of cardboard. Oh, and the I hat... am indeed familiar with that guy, yes. And, yes. and the hat says, Kein sex mit geimpften. And for our non-German speakers out there, that means no sex with the vaccinated. Yes. <laughs> I've seen this right. guy multiple times. He has a massive beard and yeah, he certainly yeah, yeah. doesn't look like someone you'd necessarily, uh, you know, who would necessarily have great opportunities in that department anyway. He, he's like the QAnon <laughs> Santa Claus, you know? Yes, exactly. Right? Like, it, it's just such a bizarre sight. And I only, at first I only saw him on Reddit, but I did see him for the first time in person last year. Yeah, I felt like I'd seen a celebrity. Um <laughs> <laughs> I kind of wanted to open with our experiences of seeing COVID-19 conspiracy theorists on the street because I have accidentally run into Jeremy Corbyn's brother, Piers Corbyn, many times. And I don't know if you know at all, but he is a massive COVID conspiracy theorist. Oh, wow. And the first time I saw him on the street, I genuinely just thought he was a nutcase. <laughs> until i saw him in the news a couple of days later <laughs> because he he took a bribe like he this uh youtuber went undercover and offered him ten thousand pounds to stop spouting anti-vax stuff and he <laughs> accepted it he accepted and and yeah and, and <laughs> he, was ex he was exposed and everyone was like what <laughs> and um i just remember seeing that and going oh what's the policy on swearing on this podcast uh, we do it. We do it. Okay. So I remember seeing this guy going, what the f***? That's the crackhead I saw on Borough High Street. <laughs> my my second favorite memory about COVID, anti-vax, sort of like conspiracy theorists, is 
this one time I was at Waterloo Station and I was just leaving the station. And there was a guy with a T-shirt that said COVID equals bioweapon. And then he took a massive rip of a vape. <laughs> and I just was just standing there in absolute shock and awe. Like, wow. Who is the bioweapon here? I'm not sure. <laughs> I know. I know. Like, I love, you know, you're on your little blueberry flavored cancer stick. But it's it's the vaccine we need to be worried about. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, anti-vax conspiracy theories are really big in Switzerland, I'd say. Yes. That's where, like, where we come from. It was like, I don't know the exact statistics. I forgot to look this up about vaccine hesitancy. But it's to the point where I think we all know, like we both know many people that have chosen not to be vaccinated. Yeah. So it's really impossible in this small time we have to talk about all the aspects of conspiracy theories because there is a lot. Yeah, there is. <laughs> there is a lot. So I kind of picked a couple things that kind of lead up to where we are today with anti-vax conspiracy theories, specifically tied to the idea of the new world order. Oh, yeah. And I'm, I'm... the great replacement, right? Yep, I've heard quite a bit about it. That's fantastic. So I, I compile a bit because I wasn't sure how much you knew about this, but it's it's just something I found really interesting. And hopefully, if it gets approved, that's what I will do my master's thesis on. Wow. Yeah. So, shall we get right into it? Let's hop into it, yes. Right. So, the scholar Joseph Vysinski, I hope I pronounced that correctly, said, there is no time in recorded history without conspiracy theories. So, all throughout society conspiracies have been a part of political life data like research have shown that most everyone has at least one conspiracy theory that they believe in at least one like think about it for yourself even if it's something really inconsequential do you have like a low stake conspiracy theory that you secretly believe in or maybe even I'm, like openly believe an exception maybe i'm just a boring centrist but uh... maybe you're just boring and cynical I'm maybe I'm not cynical enough. I'm just so naive. No politician would ever lie, and um, it's right. not true. <laughs> Everyone speaks the truth. Like one of my uh, really inconsequential mm -hmm. conspiracy theories that I like fully believe is that a lot of um, you know the cringe like anti SJW liberal owned, mm -hmm. where they take videos of just the most bat people on the internet. My low split conspiracy is that those bat people are right-wing opportunities. Oh, yeah. Just <laughs> made to sort of like as a straw man argument. I know these people probably truly exist, but some of them are just so bizarre that I'm like, you can't, you have to be a right-wing plan. No one thinks this way. Yeah, I mean, anyone can make a Twitter account and I'm pretty sure some of them are... Uh, yeah, that's what I mean. Whether it's Russia or like some dude trying to make someone look bad, like, yeah, you can make yeah. someone sound stupid, yeah. It's so easy to make a whole group of people look stupid if you just give one person a Twitter account and, and give them rain to say anything. Yeah, yeah. But, but that's that's kind of like what I mean. We We all, conspiracy theories are kind of like a way of life. It's the way we think. I'll go into a little bit later, like why conspiracy theories emerge in the first place but i just mm -hmm. think this would be a good starting point it's actually really hard to find a lot of stuff on historical conspiracy theories just because it's not that well documented mm. and every time i i research like the history of conspiracy theories 
it all starts with like JFK. Yeah, that's like, weird because it, isn't the whole right? like Jewish like uh, anti-Semitic yeah. conspiracy theories the OGs almost? Ah, you're actually jumping ahead. West. That's that's exactly what I'm about to talk about next. But I want to start off with exactly what you talked about the protocols of the elders of Zion. Oh, this is the classic. This is the, the, you, the original. Yeah. <laughs> the OG. It's it's like the the handbook of conspiracy anti-Semitism. Mm. It emerged, no one's quite sure. So every single resource I read said something slightly different. Some said uh, 1898, some said like 1903. So we can guess it's somewhere in the very early 1900s in Russia. A, a book was published titled The Protocols of the Elder Design, and it was compiled by a guy called Sergei Nilas. There's not nearly enough time for me to go into all of it, but mm-hmm. I really, really recommend the episode of Behind the Bastards about it. Yeah. So the episode is The Conspiracy to Begin All Conspiracies. It's it's really good. I uh, absolutely really good. recommend I it. I also listened to it. Yeah, it, it, so that's fabulous. So the book reports to, it claims to be secret reports gathered from super secret Zionist meetings in Zurich, including in Basel, in Switzerland. There were like and... not so secret Zionist meetings in Basel, of course, but I guess no one cared about <laughs> the protocols from those ones. No, so <laughs> they they describe a plan to dominate the world, erase Christianity, force everyone to be socialist and secular, and you know, horrible. It's horse. It's fake. It's a hoax. It's it's complete horse. But it is the foundations of the New World Order conspiracy. Like if you if you look at a lot of the rhetoric that's used in the New World Order, a lot of it sort of parrots things from the Elders of Zion. Yeah, because it's kind of a fun, interesting fact that you might know because of the episode. But do you know who popularized the conspiracy in America? Um, I don't remember. No, Henry Ford. Of course, <laughs> of course, of course Henry Ford would do that. That's a very Henry Ford thing to do, yeah. Uh, it's absolute Henry Ford behavior. He published it in a newspaper he owned and was basically like, no, guys, I think we should really check this out. I think you're really, you know, like, guys, just if you gave it a chance. <laughs> yeah, the protocols yeah, like, were like cited. Rights, yeah. but, like, I'm not a socialist, guys. That would be Jewish. I know, but guys, come on. So the protocols were cited in a lot of major incidents of anti-Semitic violence in Europe, and it was used to justify a lot of Hitler's early policies, especially like, you know, taking businesses away from from Jewish owners. Mm -hmm. But I got to give a shout out to Switzerland, though. They Mm -hmm. didn't do a lot of things right in this time period. But one thing they did was in 1935, a judge in Bern prosecuted two Nazis for spreading the protocols. And I got this quote, which is really good, from the the Anti-Defamation League, which does have its problems, but they do do a really good summary of this, which is, I hope that one day there will come a time where no one will any longer comprehend how in the year 1935, (laughs) almost a dozen fully sensible and reasonable men could for 14 days torment their brains before a court of burn over the authenticity or lack of authenticity of the so-called protocols. That for all the harm they have caused and may cause, they are nothing but ridiculous nonsense. I I can only echo the sentiment, but replace 1935 with... With 2023! 
<laughs> I can't believe that, you know, they were saying in the year of our Lord, 1935, I can't believe people are anti-Semitic. That is so 1900. Oh my God, guys, <laughs> get it together. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> what society had revolved past the need for, for, for this kind of shit? <laughs> I thought we were better than that. I, I thought that was, that was really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> So most modern far-right conspiracies have anti-Semitic undertones, yep. even if not explicit. So one chapter I, I read by Boydford says that anti-Semitic conspiracies have little to no relation to the local Jewish population of a place. So it's like how instances of Islamophobia increase when more Muslim immigrants are in an area, but this is not necessarily the case with anti-Semitic conspiracies. Oh, interesting. I found that really, really interesting. It's like you don't have to have experience with the community. It's more like an idea. Yeah, I think that's um, that, that, that kind of goes well with what I've heard from a lot of these things where the people don't seem to have anything against individual Jews, but for some right. reason that is the group that they're latching onto. And it's rather strange to me in that way. Right, it's, it's not the people, it's a concept, right? It, it's a scapegoat, it's pinning all the problems, all the grievances of society on a group. And a lot of conspiratorial rhetoric mirrors the claims of the protocols, but it just doesn't tie it to the Jewish community like the protocols do, right? Yeah, so, or you replace it with words like, you know... Uh, the globalist, global, uh, the elite. Globalist, financial elite, or something like that. The elites, you know the Rockefeller Foundation and Soros, who are... Who is, Jewish. coincidentally... <laughs> Jewish. Yeah. But it's like, but you try, you bring that up and it's like, no, it's not because they're Jewish. But the thing is, yeah. the conspiracy was invented by people who wanted to get their, bull- <laughs> their anti-Semitic bullshit out, but not make it sound... It's, it's yeah. Like, like it's, it's Nazi more- stuff, because that's a great way to get people to not listen to you anymore. It's not always that the theorist or the theory is from a Nazi, so uh, a lot of books written by, you know, people like David Icke. Mm-hmm. They, Famous guy. Well, he, no, he, he's an anti-Semite. David Icke's a bad example because he's just a fully just an anti-Semite. But there are other works where they don't necessarily say the word, the Jewish population, but they quote and they reference famous anti-Semites yeah. as sort of like evidence. I kind of want to move on a little bit to the idea of the New World Order and how it kind of leads into a lot of conspiracies today. So the scholar I mentioned before, Boydford, sort of made a really good point that conspiracy claims are sustained by a perpetual doubt about the credibility of mainstream sources. So it's this idea of you can't trust what's being fed to you, but go on, trust this one. Yeah. Like how... How often have you heard, like, oh, think for yourself, do your research? Yeah, very often. And it's it's rather odd because I find it somewhat difficult to understand why a random person on the internet is more trustworthy than, like, medical professionals or the <laughs> government. Uh, in the context of these conspiracy theories, like, why would you believe that over, like, what the CDC says? Yeah, it's like, but then they say, like, well, why is your source any more, any more less credible than mine? And I'm like, well... It's kind of just the structure of most integrity and rigor and empiricism. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it just frustrates me because, like, even people I know that aren't anti-vax kind of take this devil's advocate stance of, like, well, you know, 
how do you know that they're not lying to you? And I'm like, well, we don't, but I trust, you know, cdc.gov a little bit more than I trust vaccines give you dumber. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's because, yeah, why, the, I guess, of course, that is a question that you can't really answer other than saying, oh, because I trust them, unless you are yourself involved in the research, in which case yeah. you're part of the insider of the elite group and anything you say is uh, not to be trusted anyway. It's sort of an impossible... It's an impossible task. It's very cleverly designed in that sense because it is impossible to disprove a conspiracy theorist unless they make the great mistake of like setting a specific date for something to happen. And <laughs> yeah. It then doesn't oh, occur. yeah. I, I just listened to an episode by the podcast, the last podcast on the left. Mm-hmm. Brilliant, brilliant show. They did an episode a little while back on the Book of Revelations from the New Testament. Yeah, millenarian beliefs are yeah. a fascinating thing there. Yeah, so it kind of talks about how the concept of like the rapture and the apocalypse are a little bit more modern interpretations of the book. Yeah. So much so that, don't quote me on the date, I believe it was in the late 1800s or early 1900s, the Great Disappointment. Yeah, everyone yeah. Was, <laughs> yeah you're familiar. Everyone was expecting the rapture and then, yeah, it's not here. And that ended up splitting multiple religious organizations into pieces. And that has happened all over again. Yeah, like Jehovah's Witnesses, I think, um, um, yeah. emerged from that, where they had their own structure where they're like, we are the last generation, we will um, experience the end of the world. They said that in the 1900s, but then it didn't happen. So they were like, okay, mm-hmm. the children of those people or people who are alive at the same time will be the last generation. And now those people are all dying off and they're probably going to have to extend the deadline further, which I found really funny because mm-hmm. you just see them extending a deadline like you know me trying to write a oh, tape. and it just keeps going <laughs> yeah and but what i find great is that the book of revelations whether the guy was like you know high on mushrooms or anything they did have a very very clever part in it which is that no man knows the day right exactly no and uh, that's what the the was it in 2012 the old guy with the ministry yeah I think it was 2012, who, you know, predicted the end of the world. It failed. It didn't happen. And then he predicted it again. And then it didn't come. And then he was like, uh, oopsie. Yeah. And I think that is so is so hilarious because these supposedly extremely dedicated Christians seem to not understand that the Bible specifically says it's pointless to try to figure out when it's going to happen. You know, maybe just try to be a good person every day instead of like... Yeah, do your best. And I love that there's an explicit warning in there. Maybe the authors of the Bible got so tired of people trying to figure out when it would happen that they wrote that in there, like, just stop. Well, people thought the Black Death was the sign of the end times. In the same way that I think, you know, some religious sects believe that COVID was a sign of the end times. Yeah, and they have all these, like, I think it was this Irish priest called Farby who came up with a lot of the predictions surrounding the raptures, which I also got from a great podcast called In Our Time. And he essentially, the weird thing is he predicted a lot of, or if you squint at it, a lot of events from the 20th century. And a lot of what he was saying about the rapture and the things that would happen before it did in fact happen. And so a lot of, especially American evangelicals, took all that on and took it as gospel proof. And especially in the the early 2000s and 2010s, that was a huge thing that the rapture was coming Mm. any moment at that Obama was the Antichrist because... Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you remember, but I, I remember specifically in 2012 being in primary school and everyone's like, well, world's going to end. 
and yeah, we were just I mean, like, lol. Yeah, I was quite scared about that because I was a 11 year old and didn't know anything about the world. <laughs> like, oh my god, the Mayan calendar! And it's like, yeah, man, at some point the guy's gonna get lazy and not write any more calendar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bro. It's like Y2K, bro, just ran out of space. Yeah, then everyone's look, waiting for it and then it's like, oh man, nothing happened. But I, I, uh, I mean, there is something, I think, in humans that likes the idea that they will be the last generation. Like, no one ever predicts the apocalypse to be like in like a thousand years yeah it's always like in your lifetime yeah unless you're the mayans but... unless you're the mayans <laughs> in which case you have the humility to just stop writing in 2012 because the next guy can keep writing at that point <laughs> yeah <laughs> and this, um, I think there's something like narcissistic about it maybe perhaps to some oh, extent, like you want to be there for the end of the world you want to, but that kind of ties it back to this idea of conspiracy theorists. Like, you want to know the supreme truth. Yeah. You want to be the one holding this knowledge that no one else does. You know the truth, and everyone else are just liberal sheeple. Yeah, and especially you are, it makes you sort of, uh, uh, if you know, have a boring, very boring life. And suddenly, you know, you're in on this big secret. You're the main character in a movie. You know what's going to happen and you know how the future will develop and everything. Yeah. And these like horrible secrets of all the powerful people, which makes you, who is perhaps very much not powerful, feel better about um, about yourself and have a sense of agency. Well, yeah, that's kind of like the core of New World Order theory, mm -hmm. right? You're just a little guy and the international system... The government is all conspiring against you, right? Because New World Order theory is nothing new. It's been pretty consistent over the past couple decades. Yeah, can we, um, can we hash quickly what the actual content of the idea is? What's the lore? The lore is just in short, because again, this is very complicated. Yeah, it, it just piles on and on and on. But yeah, let's is groups of international elites looking to establish a system in which it sort of like exploits the small guy and a lot of them have been like entangled with other theories so evangelicals say you know it's the antichrist the satanists mm. uh, QAnon or like it's the people drinking blood and harvesting adenochrome and the pedophiles yeah people with the great reset are like it's mind control you know it's you know harvesting on a lot of fears about the international system and how international politics actually work. And as someone that studies it, and I think you'll find it quite similar, as a student of international relations, that's what I did my bachelor's degree in, a lot of what I learned about the international systems is the practical historical stuff and the emergence of the institutions. Like, there's nothing mystical about them. Yeah, same here. I think it's, once you do study it, like, academically, you realize that if you didn't already know it before, coordinating anything between countries is really, really, really hard. <laughs> yeah. Getting people to agree on, on even like the most basic things is Like you think difficult. there's a, a secret global cabal? We can't even do Brexit. Yeah. <laughs> we can't even get like agreement on like whether or not climate change is real or like, you know, yeah. nuclear weapons treaties. Countries are very difficult to make them cooperate. And so yeah, it's very it's, funny to hear that somehow they managed to coordinate an international adenochrome farm, like, and I think, kids yeah, blood. <laughs> and, I, and I think that's why it's so attractive, because if you don't understand anything about how politics works, it's very easy to think, oh, it's just run by evil lizard people that are all, you know, working together on the common ground of being evil lizard people. I'm like, well, no, they're just 
evil real people <laughs> who don't know what they're doing and are running for their own pockets and investments. Mm. So it's quite interesting. One of the topical New World Order conspiracies I saw kind of like links to the Ukraine conflict. Yeah, that's so really interesting. Yep. Some people, both on the far right and the far left, interestingly, are saying, you know, that they're obviously quite pro-Putin in the sense that the international system is being betrayed by Putin because he's standing up against the New World Order. Yeah. And you're like, dude, no. It's, <laughs> it's not what's happening. A country is being invaded. <laughs> yeah, I find the logic, the sort of logical contortions people go into to try to justify the invasion of Ukraine. I think a lot of the conspiracy theorists are already quite susceptible to it. Uh, given yeah. that everything they see happen in the news has to be framed in the in terms of their conspiracies. It has to be explained. Things have to be explainable. Things don't just happen for the sake of happening, or someone wouldn't invade a country just for some geopolitical advantage. No, there has mm. to be an explanation. And especially that explanation has to link to sort of a global trend or a global yeah to a global conspiracy of sorts because of course there are right. explanations those explanations require you to understand what imperialism is you know a legacy of the soviet union yeah exactly international so, relations understanding sort of like how great power relations work in the modern times and how nato works because a lot of the ones sort of like parroting is newer and older so blah, blah, blah. they just don't understand exactly what nato is yeah. Exactly. I'm not exactly pro-NATO, I'm not pro-militarism, and I'm not pro-imperialism, but I think it's insane that people are like, well, you know, NATO's bad and maybe Putin's justified for it. I'm like, bro, no. Yeah. What I find fascinating, especially in that regard, is that uh, many people are ready to accept the idea that NATO expansion is somehow provocation towards yeah. Russia, given that NATO is a defensive alliance and that the countries yeah. like, that were formerly in the... Your, Soviet Union that eventually joined NATO were begging to join NATO. Yeah. It was not America coming in like, you are now part of it. America, most of the defense establishment was like, we don't want to defend more countries in Eastern Europe. We already have too much to do. This is yeah. a waste of resources. We shouldn't let them in. And then it was the politicians who decided. So, political scientist John Mearsheimer wrote... A uh, classic, yes. <laughs> I, you read it, right? It's a, I believe yeah. it's a bit of a bad take. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I'm just a postgrad student. I have no experience in the field. It would be very naive of me to point at someone with a lot of experience and be like, eh, that's actually a bad take. But I'll say it. It's a bad take. I think in his case, it is a bad take. Like, the, the <laughs> stuff he says is very much a sort of realist standpoint that, like, maybe Bismarck would have been like, wow, that's so smart, but that's, doesn't have it's any just, you know, in 1945. It's in the sort of like with Walt and other realist perspectives on power relations. I just think it's a bad take. I'm, I'm not a big fan. But, you know, it, it is still important to read it and to understand what other opinions exist about this, even if they are wrong. Mm. So, sort of like coming a little bit back to what we were talking about, this idea of misunderstanding how international relations work with conspiracy yeah. theories. You see that a lot with QAnon and Trump as well. Yeah. So, this idea that Trump isn't affiliated with the New World Order, the international system, and that's why he is doing what he does. And I'm like, no, he's doing what he does because he has no affiliation with the international order, in brackets, derogatory. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. He, Although I think... It's that because it's, he didn't really know what was what he was doing. 
Yeah, definitely. He has, he, he sort of comes into it blind and then he looks around himself and he sees things and doesn't know why they exist because he yeah. never read more than five words in one go. And, and then he starts making policies that are sort of, yeah, not particularly reasonable in the context yeah. of history. But of course, history only matters insofar to these people as you can blame Jewish people for everything or yeah. the globalists or whatever the current thing you want to blame is. Yeah, so it's like that's part of QAnon's core beliefs is that there's an evil cabal, right? Mm -hmm. And the reason they love Trump so much is because he's not seen as part of the cabal. He's just seen as an average American, you know, like ignoring the fact of his extreme wealth yeah <laughs> privilege all the things that he's he's had very much handed to him in, a in small loan million dollars you know like i just find that really interesting they look at trump and i'm like now that's the average american yeah i think there was one point that i once heard made about trump which is that he's sort of a poor person's imagination of what a rich person would be like in the yeah. sense that he has the golden toilets and you know all this ostentatious putting your name on everything like an actual, you know, like old money elite wouldn't do that because that's a great way to get the tax man to actually look at what you're doing. But of course, you know, if you suddenly win the lottery, that is exactly what you do. Hell yeah, you get the golden toilet. Yeah. <laughs> and so he's sort of sympathetic in that way because he has no taste. He has no sense of style or anything. Yeah. There's a, a really good book that I recommended to you already. I think it's called The Storm is Upon Us or The Storm, the storm is, is Coming. coming yeah. Yeah, the storm is coming, and it's by Mike Rothschild. No affiliation to the um, Rothschilds family, exactly. So it's really good, and it really goes in depth about how QAnon has like ripped through American politics. It's a great book, and it kind of helps you understand a lot about how conspiracy theories spread. Mm -hmm. Which kind of leads me to my next point, which is: Do you think that conspiracy theories are on the rise? You know, there are more today than there were in the past. Do I think so? Yeah, just personally. Yeah, I think it would be very surprising if it was not the case. Hmm. Well, that's quite interesting. I did a bit of reading into this. So a paper by Asinski et al. posted uh, last year found that belief in conspiracies isn't actually increasing. Oh, what? How? So I've got this quote from it. So it said, hmm. our findings offer both good and bad news. Good, in that conspiracy theory beliefs are not increasing across the board. Bad, in that conspiracy theories may be a more persistent and ubiquitous feature of human society than is desirable. It's less that there's more conspiracy theories, but we just notice them more. And They've always they more been there. They've always been there, but perhaps they're just louder now. I can think of a few ideas, mm -hmm. right? Letting people have access to Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that seems like a mistake generally, yeah. Giving people phones. <laughs> Turns out phone bad, it's quite, guys. It's Take quite funny. It was correct all along. <laughs> <laughs> it's like at the, at the end of the book, The Storm is Upon Us, one of the sort of like tips he gives about helping people leave QAnon is essentially like taking them somewhere where they don't have access to the internet for a couple of days. <laughs> Touch some grass. <laughs> Literally, go touch grass. <laughs> um, oh man, I love that. Oh, I feel like I benefit from that sometimes as well, but I'm far I too... Think too I think everyone. I know, it's really bad. It's really, really bad, because I can sit here and be like, oh, phone bad, internet bad. Uh, but you use phone. phone. How interesting. I am so smart. <laughs> <laughs> 
So another study found that conspiracy theories are linked to a sense of a lack of political control for specifically with opposition groups. Yeah. So people on the extreme ends of a political spectrum. So this is from Imhoff et al. also published last year. The people on the extreme ends of the political continuum expressed more pronounced beliefs that the world is governed by secret forces operating in the dark. So if you think about it that way, it's like the government isn't subscribing to my extreme beliefs. I can't get into politics. They are conspiring against me. It's not because nobody likes my political ideas about forcing everyone to wear pants instead of shirts. Mm-hmm. Right. It's quite interesting looking at it in that way. And I think that explains quite a bit about what happened on January 6th in the US and also in Brazil this year. Yeah. Yeah. Talk a bit more about Brazil, because that seems to me to be a very weirdly blatant ripoff of January 6th in in America. And it's confusing. (laughs) Brazil saw that January 6th failed. Why did they do it? Yeah. Just for those who aren't familiar with it, I think it was on January 8th that so yeah. it was the January two-year anniversary, basically. Yeah, it's January 6th, 2021. Donald Trump was no longer president. Some people didn't like that, so they stormed the Capitol to try to prevent it. And then Bolsonaro, Jair Bolsonaro, who is mm. the president of Brazil or was, they called him the Trump of the tropics, and he seemed to mm. really want to LARP as Trump, I guess. And so when he was voted out, he decided to uh, encourage his followers to do the same with Brazil's government. But just worse. But just worse, like at a bigger scale, it seems. Right. It's quite funny because, okay, it's not funny. I, I want to preface that people died and that's never funny. But if you like look into it. So I, I believe the direct casualties that weren't police officers were there were five casualties, right? So mm-hmm. two of them, I believe, was gunshot wounds. And then two of them died of methamphetamine overdoses. Which is, uh, I do struggle not to laugh at that, given that I know, you're, it's, go- it's you're really going to stage revolution. Right, I, I don't want to laugh. Somebody's dead, that's not funny. And then the last one died of a heart attack. Yeah. Don't want to laugh. I don't want to laugh. I just want to express that that may be considered funny in some circumstances. Like, you go going to overthrow the government, and then you get hired. You have a meth overdose. Um... It's kind no, of tragic. It's, it's a tragic it's comedy. Tragic. It's, it's a tragic comedy because I remember it unfolding. You know, I was back home because I was back home over COVID mm-hmm. in 2021 and just kind of watching it unfold, going, what the f? January 6th. Yeah, yeah. For Brazil, I think it was in uh, a Weatherspoons. And for those that aren't from the UK, Weatherspoons is the bottom tier of drinking establishments. <laughs> It is the kind of place where people that would go to these rallies would congregate. Mm. <laughs> but it's also extremely cheap. I was at a Spoons and then watching it on the TV going, what's the f- Again? <laughs> Again? Yeah. And that is what I find that to be... That, that is just so bizarre. And, and then the funniest thing is like, because Trump, after this happened, you know, stepped down and went to Florida to like, you know, live out his life, hopefully, as someone who's not as notorious. Bolsonaro yeah. tried doing the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> right? He also like, ran bro. away to Florida. Yeah. And they went, dude, you can't be doing that. <laughs> but it's quite interesting because we're looking at back to 
conspiracy theories in the mainstream, a lot of Americans didn't know what QAnon was until January 6th. Mm -hmm. I would believe because that's their first time seeing it on TV, people with the Q flags. Yeah. The don't tread on me and, and the works. Do you know um, we ever found out who Q was? Or can we get some more con context on QAnon in case some people sure. have been living under a rock? Yes, QAnon is a doozy, right? And mm -hmm. if I couldn't explain the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, which is a book in whatever time we have together, there is no way in hell I can explain the whole facets of QAnon. Yeah. But the, the meat of it is essentially just that Q is a one individual or potentially multiple individuals comprised of senior political military government figures mm -hmm. who are releasing cryptic information via Q drops, <laughs> which is was originally on 4chan yeah. and then obviously moved to 8chan and then moved to 8kun. God. But yeah, it, it's how did, how did those sites, which is like, you know, famously the dregs of the worst of what the internet has to hold, become yeah. influential? It's insane because I don't find those sites, what little experience I have with them to be particularly user friendly. Yeah. So considering that a lot of conspiratorial mindsets are linked, not not directly linked, but I believe linked to a lack of digital literacy as well. It's quite interesting because they're hard to navigate. So these Q drops would contain really, really cryptic and random stuff that, honest to God, could either be a keyboard smash or someone doing a word generation, and then people on the internet would scramble to find the meaning for it. It's how a lot of people predicted, like, Hillary Clinton is going to be arrested and tried for war crimes and, you know, everybody in politics is going to commit suicide on this date. It's, again, like trying to predict the apocalypse. And then when it didn't happen, people would be like, that was a test. And even, you know, the person posting his cue would be like, that's a test. We don't know who's posting. That is um, fascinating to me. And I really wonder... There are theories. Hope... There are a couple theories. Yeah, go on. Yeah. There are a couple theories, and most of them are just right-wing people on the internet, but none of it's confirmed. They're mostly like few like posters in general, people in the field. I don't exactly remember their names, but I will get back to you on that. The main thing is we really don't exactly know who's posting that. It could be a bored teenager. Yeah, that's my favorite. For all we know, theory. I know, for all we know, it could be me, right? <laughs> like, yeah. just bored as It's <laughs> just like... Yeah, um, but the point is, it was very attractive to a lot of people who felt like, oh, this speaks to me. I don't like them Democrats. I don't like them liberals, mm -hmm. right? But thats it's more than that. Even people on the left were drawn into QAnon. I think it's a bit of a fallacy to say that it's just a far-right thing because it is primarily right-wing, I will say that, but it's more like social conservatism because if you think about a lot of the people there, they're primarily low education, yeah. low income families and, and households. But especially in COVID-19, there were a lot of leftist people drawn into QAnon because of this sort of like link to anti-vax sentiments. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you know like the, the term crunchy? Uh, no. So it's kind of like new hippie, vegan. Ah, uh, yes, you know, I can imagine. Only yeah. using eco-friendly things. 
And that also extends to not getting vaccinated. New age soccer mom with her healing principles also comes to mind, like, which is generally more of a lefty thing. Yeah, but it can Uh, overlap. I don't know know if you ever saw that baby on TikTok, where it's like the mom doesn't believe in sunscreen and it's just letting the little baby fry. And it's horrifying because you're like, put sunscreen on that child. And this mom is just like, haha, watch my kid put an entire rock in its mouth. And you're like, for the love of God, CPS needs to get involved. Yeah. But that's what I mean. So it's not just a right wing thing, but it's just things that are anti-mainstream, right? I think that's the main thing, anti-mainstream. Another interesting one by uh, Hornsey et al. says that conspiratorial mindsets and theories are linked to a country's poor economic performance. Mm-hmm. But I'm not so sure about that one. I think obviously there is evidence to show that. But, you know, I think America is a, an interesting example of that because that is, it is a country that is economically interesting, but not necessarily in shambles. Yeah, I would agree with that. Also, I think that in Switzerland during the pandemic, I yeah. don't know oh, right. comparatively, yeah. but it seemed to me that there was a very large sort of support for these weirder ideas. Do you remember all the like anti five G stuff? Yeah, they're like stickers um, everywhere. Even and... in our little town, for reference, we both live in the same town in Switzerland. That's how we know each other. Yeah. <laughs> and in our little town, all the like stop five G graffiti, and you're just like, what? Yeah, it's... and I think that's again this idea of the unknown. If you don't understand something, of course you're going to be scared by it. And yeah. it makes me think a bit about nine eleven conspiracies. You know, like. Darius, tell me, can jet fuel melt steel beams? Uh, no, it cannot, but it can weaken them to a point that they can no longer support uh, a large concrete building. There you go. <laughs> and also, the structure of the Twin Towers also affected that. I watched a really interesting documentary about the engineering of the Twin Towers and how that led to certain aspects of the collapse mm-hmm. and how it collapsed the way it does. But again, people that don't understand that don't know that. Yeah. And in the same way that People who don't understand what 5G is, people who don't understand what bike proteins are, are going to be scared by it. Yeah. Conspiracies are real, right? So what's the difference between a conspiracy and a conspiracy theory? Because there have been many conspiracies that are true. Mm -hmm. Like if you look back in history, even like recent history, like the Iraq invasion in 2003, that sounds fake as shit on the surface level, right? invading a country for bad intelligence because they've got weapons of mass destruction so that they can overtake the political system for their own gain in the, for oil, right? Like, in another world, if we were in a different universe where capitalism didn't exist, someone would be like, you're crazy. Yeah. But that did happen. Or, like, Iran-Contra. I think those are a lot of the prime examples of, like, conspiracies to intervene in some of these countries. Or, like, Watergate, right? Intervention, like... Conspiracies are just things that happen covertly. Yeah. I think the definition of conspiracy is when groups of people meet covertly to do something. That's not necessarily always a malicious thing. Yeah, you know, like I could throw a secret surprise party for my friends. (laughs) And technically, when you're planning that party, it is a conspiracy. Mm -hmm. Committing conspiracy to commit party. (laughs) Well, it's like... The conspiracy i was about to say like you have the charge conspiracy to commit murder and that's just a plan right yeah so when does a conspiracy become a conspiracy theory 
this is kind of antithetical to all the massive rant I went on earlier about how crazy people are, but it is very easy to dismiss things by calling them conspiracy theories. Some of them really are quite outlandish and bizarre to us, but like so many things that are politically charged, it's really easy to just brush something off that just doesn't fit with your own mindset. Yeah. And then also confirm things that does fit in it, even if it isn't. Yeah, it's like a, a, right, a selection bias. Like, why is my low-state conspiracy theory about anti-SJW cringe posts, you know, the source material comes from right-wing operatives. Like, mm-hmm. why is that any more crazy than, you know, there's a microchip in the vaccine? Well, I, I would say pe- people's lives are at stake, but, you know, somebody could make that argument. Yeah, or perhaps you could say that, you know, when swastikas are seen at Trump rallies, that is leftists trying to make him look bad. You know, yeah. you could flip it either way. Well, that's interesting because that's what a lot of Q drops did when people committed violence in the name of QAnon. I don't exactly remember which post it was or, or what interpretation of the post it was, but it was basically like, this is not a true believer of Q. This is a government or a, this is an operative trying to make Q look bad. Oh, okay. So This is a classic way to get easily out of it. (laughs) Right, it's like a a thought-terminating cliche, which is a concept that comes a lot in the study of cults, but also conspiracy theories. And it's basically the phrase, that's what they want you to think, stops all conversation, stops all thought, there's nothing that you can do. Yeah. So a lot of my interests in my personal research, especially for my thesis is about grievances. Like, why does QAnon or the New World Order theory or JFK was a two-man job speak to so many people? And it's interesting because you have to really look at what is being targeted. And it's like radicalization studies. So I, especially my undergrad, I did a a lot of work looking into online radicalization. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the times, if you look at it as filling a social hole yeah a lack of community right yeah i find Uh, that to be likely a very very strong driver and you know here you can get the ted kaczynski industrial revolution bad in but you do have an atomized society where individualism is you know much more important but also humans aren't evolved to be individuals under capitalism that work only for themselves and only choose their own community because sometimes there is no community to choose or not easily accessible or you know or it's just easier to go on phone and find people who agree with you and then form a community around that especially when i think communities that are under attack i think tend to be the strongest and so no wonder that people who feel that they are being oppressed or lied to or anything would form the most radical groupings in a way Something interesting I read about vaccine hesitancy among African Americans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't help but be sympathetic in a way that I'm not with vaccine hesitancy in other groups yeah. because I completely understand. Right? This is not something that is unfounded. This is not something has like in the past Tuskegee, right? Exactly, the syphilis yeah. experiments. I would understand why there would be fear. So it's really looking at that, like, why people lean towards that, not just what it is, but really on an individual level. Mm. I found this thing on the European Commission, if we're talking about the role of conspiracy theories on society, the European Commission kind of puts 
three main reasons why they can be damaging to public policy. So this, these are direct quotes. So they identify an enemy in a secret plot that threatens people's lives or beliefs and spark a defense mechanism which can fuel discrimination, justify hate crimes and be exploited by violent extremist groups. Yeah. They spread mistrust in public institutions, which can lead to political apathy or radicalization. And they spread mistrust in scientific and medical information, which could have serious consequences. But I think the last two are really prevalent, especially in the post-pandemic world. Yeah. This lack of trust in public institutions. Living in the UK, I have no trust in public institutions, <laughs> right? So I could sympathize with that on a level, right? Because... I hate the Tory government and I hate what they have done to me personally. And, and I understand how if perhaps the conspiracy came along that explained that away to me, I would be like, bet, right? It's, it's kind of like a slippery slope of taking advantage of a grievance and then building on it and building on it and building on it. And I wonder if what can even be done about that. Well, because for me, I find... I don't think I'm very susceptible to conspiracy theories generally because I am privileged enough to live in a place where I have very, very high trust in public institutions and I would find it very yeah. difficult to imagine such conspiracies existing, perhaps also because I, you know, studied Swiss politics at university several times. But I, I think it's like identity driven in many ways. And that is something that's extremely difficult to address because mm. when it is about who you are as a person, the opinions that you hold, and they're not like sort of separate as like your opinions and then who you are is different, then it becomes very, very difficult to change anyone's mind up to being impossible. Because there's like no chance for dialogue in that sense. Mm -hmm. right? If someone's made their mind up right there. And I, I'm a victim to this as well. Even when we're not talking about conspiracy theories, even if we're just talking about values and beliefs, sometimes if I'm having a debate with someone and, you know, someone disagrees with one of my values or beliefs, I kind of take it as a personal attack, right? Like, oh, okay, you, you think I'm an idiot? You think I'm dumb? You think I don't know what I am talking about? It's very easy to talk down to people you don't agree with. Yeah. And, you know, I find myself doing that sometimes and try not to do that, especially like in the field, it's very good to really try and keep an open dialogue, even if what other people say you consider bad. Mm-hmm. But yeah. the whole point is trying to talk and not to argue because people get really defensive. Like, we all get really defensive. So if you treat someone as if they're a brainwashed sheeple, they're not going to want to talk to you. And that, and that goes for both ways, right? Yeah. There's a um, really interesting documentary done in the UK where this woman invited a bunch of people who were vaccine skeptic on like a, I think it was like a five day course where they just have a conversation and they meet medical professionals. They met some uh, nurses on the front lines of the pandemic. And then they met a charity specializing in disinformation. And the group was a really mixed bunch, right? So you yeah. had this black woman who was probably the most sensible out of all of them, <laughs> which was mm -hmm. afraid of institutional racism. Even the host was like, fair enough. But then you had these two women who were prominent anti-vax protesters. Yeah. And the host, she was such a professional. She was very gentle. She was very non-confrontational and she was very respectful. Every time she challenged a fallacy in their argument, they'd start shouting. They'd bang on the table. 
they'd say, you're not listening to me. You're pushing your agenda. You're not listening to me and get up and leave. Yeah. That was what really got me because it's not an attack always. Sometimes you just, you should be able to challenge something without someone flipping the table and going, yeah. you. I think that's part of being like a grown up. Although I don't get into arguments with people often because, you know, maybe it's a, a sort of echo chamber or I just, you know, don't like to talk about these things but sometimes when i do i feel like my heart rate go up and like the adrenaline yeah pump when Get a bit nerd. something that i feel strongly about and i find uh, that yeah. it's just a problem with humans and like biology to some extent like we just it's very difficult to make humans have a civilized exchange my worst part is like when i'm having a, a heated debate i stutter and i stumble and that is the worst that's it oh yeah then you're, then you're lost <laughs> especially if the other person's like an absolute asshole. they'll just pick up on that and they'll fluster you and they'll take advantage of the fact that you're just stumbling and stuttering and i'm like please please sir i have adhd i'm really struggling here yeah and uh, yeah it's uh, I, like i used to do a debate when i was in high school that was the captain the head of the debate team and Weird flex, but okay. A weird flex, yeah. Weird, um, <laughs> perhaps uh, it wasn't. Very, I wasn't very good at it. I'll be honest, or at least not that good at leading anything. But the, the point I'm trying to make is that when you're debating, you're usually given the side that you represent without getting a choice over it. And when you're good mm. at it, you will. It, the whole debates are always in bad faith in that sense. Like you, you know yeah. the tricks. You know yeah. how to get people to, you know, sort of go along with what you're saying. And that, think, that's a really yeah. yeah that's a really good point it's this idea of in bad faith and i used to struggle with that in debate and especially like you might not entirely agree with me on this as a woman i feel like people take advantage of that fact as well because i'm not naturally as loud i found myself being talked over by men a lot when i was in debate yeah and i, I mean, couldn't I've handle it I do a lot in this interview, but the problem is that my microphone input is much quieter than yours. So when I try <laughs> you to talk, to. Try to talk to. over you, it doesn't work. <laughs> no, no. For the record, you've never made me feel like that when we've had arguments. Well, not okay, arguments, yeah. but debate. Because also, I think we're close enough that I could stop you and be like, bro. Yeah, yeah. But it's true. Yeah. Like, I remember when I was doing the debate club, it was rather small. There was like, I think, two girls and two guys and then me trying to get the whole thing together. And I remember the girls were very shy compared to the guys at the start. And they mm -hmm. did have a lot of a harder time to assert themselves and get their point out there when the boys mm -hmm. would be like a lot more. Yeah. This is yeah. And I felt like and this also could be me trying to justify being bad at debate by saying, oh, it's because men would pick on me. I might have <laughs> actually just been bad at debate, but it felt like they would challenge me on really small things a lot harsher just sort of like building a straw man and i saw them do that to women a lot more than to other men but as i said that might just be because i was bad at debate <laughs> yeah i think that's probably part of it but i think also it's a reason why i mean i was very happy that i had that group of people in the debate club because i think i saw them over time get a lot more confident and a lot more able to hold their own and yeah tolerant also of some of the bullshit that people were trying to pull and in a way that was quite, I guess, also inspiring to see people grow like that. And I think it's an important skill to have to be able to debate and hold your own, even if yeah. it is difficult to actually make a good faith and get something out of it for all sides, if not everyone is open. Yeah, I think this ties it back really well to like, how do you get someone out of a mm -hmm. conspiracy mindset? And that's it. It's this notion of good faith. People need to be on the same page and willing to talk about it. 
that was a really big point brought up in in the QAnon book at the very end, which is that person needs to have a want to talk. Otherwise, you can't force it. You can't force it. This is. Uh, I don't like the term brainwashing. I think it's kind of like a bit of a scapegoat of more complex processes that happen. I read a bit about it a while ago. It's a in a book called Cultish. It's a, about the linguistics of cults. Ooh, okay, Great book. Yeah. And it talks about how brainwashing is basically just not an academically accepted term, that it's very much used by media and people that don't really understand what's going on. And I think that problem is we treat people like they've been brainwashed, when in reality it's just more, as I said, complex social processes and and changing the way you behave, but you're still you at the end of the day. Yeah. Right, you're still that person that you were before you joined. You're just your natural responses to things have been changed. So it's really one of those cases where all you can do to help someone out is give them resources that may create doubt, but not disprove, because that's mm-hmm. an attack. Yeah. And like doubt is the main thing, right? That's what she brought up in the book, Cultish, is you need to have just that one moment where you go, what? Mm-hmm. And for some people, that's one of the doomsday predictions not coming true. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest mistakes a cult leader or a conspiracy theorist can prediction. Make. Never give a date. <laughs> because if your leader is proven wrong, that's it. Like, you can keep following and keep going and, and people do. Or that's that, right? And that's the seed of doubt that's been sown. That's what I find quite interesting about QAnon because lots of people have gotten out and a lot of them were because Q whatever they are, keeps making, Mm -hmm. well, kept making predictions that didn't happen. And every time they would write it off as that was a test. How many tests do you need? (laughs) How many tests do you need until someone goes, bro, all right, we're tired of it. Yeah. That's pretty much the end of what I prepared for you today. Yeah. It's been a really good run. I mean, I I did want to ask, like, are there any real conspiracies that you find particularly cool good interesting clever what do you mean like real conspiracies like like, conspiracies that actually happened if you can think of some at the top of your head that you found like were actually pretty well yeah interesting Uh, or something no that's a good question you know what's funny i i deal so much with like the kind of more crazy conspiracy theories that i can't even think of any real ones right now yeah fair enough neither neither can i just off the top of my head but that's definitely a good one to look into, maybe for a future episode. Ooh, yeah, that would certainly be great. I mean, um, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Oh, thank you very much for having me. So at the end of the episodes, what we usually do is recommendations. You've already done a couple different books. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Different conspiracy theories. And I would just, adding to some of what you've said, like Behind the Bastards is a very good podcast. A bit more an indie one I would also recommend is Well, There's Your Problem, which is also very It's lefty. really good, yeah. Yeah, they have a whole... Is it a series or an episode on 9-11? And that one's also quite quite entertaining. And also yeah, sort I, of inspirational for me to make this podcast. I would recommend the last podcast on the left. If we're just talking podcasts at the moment. That one's very good and also just really funny. I would also, especially for things like conspiracies, stuff they don't want you to know is kind of like what got me into the field of conspiracy research rather than just looking at it as this strange phenomenon. Okay, yeah, that's really interesting. 
I should check those out as well because you've given me lots of great recommendations in the past. <laughs> uh, and yeah, as I said, I would really recommend the book The Storm is Upon Us by Mike Rothschild. And I'm going to get the author of Coldfish because it was a great book. Amanda Montel. That's great. Coldfish by Amanda Montel. Brilliant book. All right. Well, at that point, I want to thank our producer, Constantina, our guest, Ellie, and I, myself, as always, your host, Darius. Have a nice day and see you in the next one. Bye.